everybody. Welcome back to part two of our They're Not Leaving analysis of the uh, overall uh, chaos and violence at the Capitol. Um, this episode is going to be focused a lot more on just the response and where things have gone. We're recording this a few days ago, so it might be a little out of date. Please Google things and do your own research. This is just some overall analysis of how Joe Biden, the Democrats, and just sort of the, our society in general has been responding. And yeah, uh, excited to jump into this. Uh, can each of y'all just quick introduce yourselves? I know we already did this, but just do a quick hey, and then we'll dive back in. Yeah. Yes, I hope they die, and I do it again. I'm sorry. I'm really messing up your editing. <laughs> You think it's funnier every time, right. and we don't. <laughs> now, this is Greg uh, reporting to you from the past live. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. And this is Marshall from Virginia. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's hop back in uh, with where we were talking about the response. Well, yeah, we so we already talked a little bit about like how this wasn't surprising. Um, I think like. One of the things I'd like to just check in on a little bit, I think we'll probably be in a similar place here, is just like the way that people have been responding to this in some ways and the way the media has been responding to this, I think is like half right. Um, where there's been a lot of these posts sort of talking about how this is white privilege, being able to take over the Capitol building is white privilege. Um, and being able to like not get shot at uh, in these instances is white privilege. And I think that this is kind of true, um, but I think that like it's an incomplete, like I think it's inaccurate use of the phrase or like the concept of privilege. Like I think that it is privilege combined with an explicit political project. Like I think if these had been, if it had been an all white crowd of like say black bloc protesters, I doubt that this would have been allowed. Um, and I think that their whiteness is a key part of what allowed this to happen, but their ideology was also a key part of what allowed this to happen. They were perceived as being on a similar side as the police because of a white supremacist ideology. Like they were protected both by whiteness and a white supremacist project that they were a part of. So I think that's a fair assessment, but I think it, like it's fair, but nuanced, right? Because they were definitely like... yeah. Black people within that. I mean, even when you look, Enrique, whoever the guy is that oh, is the, the Cowboys, he had been arrested a couple of days on his way to this protest, right? Like he got arrested, I think, at the airport, right? But him as like a, a, a outwardly black, uh, like Latino man was immediately, like they did not even have the chance to go commit any acts of violence as the head of this organization. And there were black people within the crowd, right? And there's we've even been like joking on Twitter, like, oh, like he is definitely getting arrested. Like they gonna find this man first. Uh, so I think there's there's some nuance in like, yes, it is about being like aligned with the ideology, but like their whiteness offered them a greater degree of protection than some of the minorities that were even in that crowd, right? Uh, but I do think like white supremacy does like as a counterpoint, white supremacy, like, aligning yourself with white supremacy does offer you a degree of protection and more along the lines that when we see white people, particularly like in, in my experience, white women disaligned by like dating black men or dating outside of the white race, they are no longer afforded the protections that whiteness offers in America. And they're now seen as traitors 
and disrespected and disregarded by their communities. Uh, and then along those same lines though, uh, going back to like my original point, I, I was I was younger, right? Like I mean, I was probably I, I was probably like eighteen or something, seventeen, eighteen. But when uh, Occupy the Occupy movement happened, I don't remember occupiers having had such extreme responses. They kind of meanders out on their own, where they kind of occupied these places. They didn't like it was more it was way more peaceful and less like agitative than any protests we've seen in the last couple of years but they they didn't they weren't met with the same response that black lives matter protests have been met with nor the uh or even any i don't remember anybody getting beat up but again that was a while ago and i wasn't fully conscious of like events at the time yeah i think i absolutely agree i my point it wasn't that the whiteness was irrelevant it's just that i think that it's a it is a disservice to our understanding to portray it only as a privilege. I think it's like a combination of that privilege welded with the explicit ideological and like political project that really kind of like, it's both, it's not one or the other. Um, yeah, I, I think that, and I think that the Occupy example is a good one there. I think there was pretty widespread, like 5,000 people went to jail when they broke the Occupy protests across the country. Um, and there was like far more uh, action here but also like you're saying far less than there was uh or is currently around black lives matter so i think that yeah it's you can see sort of a gradation between like a white movement in service of white supremacy a majority white movement in service of left-wing goals and a like black-led movement for black liberation and that's sort of like resulting in a variety of different police responses and this is sort of like one end or a further end on the like white supremacist project side i don't know if we really touched on this this is sort of in the same vein, but not really. I don't know if we really touched on the terrorism and labeling it terrorism and what that does and if that's an effective term and um, you know, especially what that does to the black and, and brown community. Cause I have seen that debate, um, especially like in the last day or so specifically because obviously terrorism has been used, especially since 9-11, obviously, to uh, terrorize specifically Muslim uh, and Arab people. And the the term, in my opinion, should be used for white supremacists, white nationalists, white extremists, all of those, those sorts of things. But I have seen uh, folks of, uh, you know, um, the Muslim faith and um, Arab descent say that they don't believe that uh, terrorism, that that term should be used because that implication still will fall back on uh, Muslim people and Arab people, just because again, the, the way that the United States is set up, um, you know, things always tend to fall back on, on people of color um, because that's, you know, the way that the system is set up. So they believe that the, the term should really be white supremacy, white extremism, white nationalism, and that that should really be uh, used in, you know, that that should be put in the national consciousness and that should be used instead of terrorism, which has already been used in, in you know, the media and some folks uh, vocabulary to describe what happened. And so I was just kind of wondering what you all think of that. 
Yeah, I think to that point, I think you should call things like there's I think there's a difference between like terrorism and domestic terrorism being like, I guess, who it comes from and like white people are like the main proponents of domestic terrorism. Uh, I don't think yesterday or not yesterday, Wednesday was an act of terrorism just because and there's, there's more like a I've, maybe I'm being nitpicky, but like the fact that it was enacted against the government and not necessarily the civilians, it wasn't an act of terrorism uh, to the point about like, should we use this? I think I don't want to call it. I, I think we're we're giving up a battle that is worth fighting because if we forever just like give up that, like don't call it terrorism, it basically remove like white people can't be terrorists, right? They're they're mentally ill. They're this. They're they're solo actors, and calling it like white extremism then gives them an out to be like, oh, like they didn't believe, they were Democrat, like there were there's certain uh, acts that have happened where they'd be like, oh, they were Democrats or they were this, or like they voted and they they, they have ways to work their way out of being called white supremacists, right? It's, it's basically like being called a racist. I mean, which white supremacists are, but it's, it's like, oh, I'm not racist. And I feel like calling it terrorism, like, we need to redefine the word or not even redefine the word, but like reclassify who can be defined as a terrorist rather than just being like, let's not call them terrorists because then it, it hurts us. Let's make it like, let's redefine the culture in a way that like, yes, they can be terrorists as well. And like, let's not have, let them have that win. Yeah. I think the, I think that there is with many of these things, a nuance that isn't really being portrayed in the national political discussion or the online discussion. I think, I like your point, Greg, about like not seeding that ground. I think that you can make laws though, if you wanna, or, or enforce laws, like the laws are already on the books to attack white supremacist terrorists um, and white supremacists, just like insurrectionists, like where those two, like the Venn diagram of those two, there's already laws to target them. They're choosing not to follow those laws or not to press those laws. And I think that the idea that we're going to talk about maybe a little bit later just around enacting new anti-terrorism laws in response to this is a dangerous one because then you get uh the democrats and republicans somehow end up surveilling a bunch of left-wing groups and somehow black lives matter gets on that list and somehow you know like the there it's not the whole movement just elements of it but we have to watch everybody and like there's the united states is set up to use like terrorism has become a trip word within the legal structures that basically gets you put outside of civil rights. And so I think there's an argument against sort of using a generalized anti-terrorism approach to a specifically white supremacist terrorism problem. And I think if you wanted to make new laws targeting white supremacist violence specifically, I think I would be in favor of that in some ways. I'm, I'm worried by the, we need to call these people terrorists and lump them into the giant growing pile of people that we call terrorists without investigating maybe how big that pile is or why we're looking at all those people the same. Like, I think there's a broader conversation over like how we reassess some of that. Um, and yeah, like ter anti-terrorism laws have been used not just against uh, Muslim folks and Arab folks, um, but against like pretty much every oppressed group at some point 
who tried to stand up for their rights. There have been anti-terrorism, anti-terrorist uh, legislation that's been used against them, workers, uh, black people, um, like, yeah, just people across this whole country, pretty much anybody who's any faced any sort of oppression and fought back has been labeled at some phase a terrorist and these laws have been used against them. So I think there's, there's a danger there. I, I think that it makes sense to call a terrorist act a terrorist act. I think I would agree with Greg that this is more of like, yeah, like I think we agreed a coup, but a uh, sort of disorganized, like small uprising by a minority trying to subvert the democratic process such that it is. Um, if it were terrorists, they would have had a plan to hurt the people in the capital or hurt the people of DC just in general. And that would have been the primary tactic. I mean, they did have a plan to hurt the people in the capital. But I think like they, they at least didn't follow through on that part of it as much. No, they didn't because they couldn't get it together. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think that again, like we, it was not necessarily intention. It was the execution and thank God that they couldn't follow through on that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I say like, I don't think it was terrorism, not because they weren't trying to hurt people, but because of who they were trying to hurt, right? The people in the Capitol, you exist as a gut. Like if a person drops a bomb in front of the AT&T building in Tennessee, which we haven't been talking about, uh, versus that's terrorism but i could, I could versus if you drop a bomb in, sorry if you drop a bomb in front of a uh military base that's an act of war like but, because it was a government building i'm sorry uh i, I just want to finish this last point uh, because it was a government building i think of it as not so much of terrorism but like again like a coup not not a successful coup but more of a coup because they're who they're enacting the violence on and like who they represent but the thing is is that it can be both i think that it is terrorism and it's domestic terrorism because they were trying to uh incite fear not only in you know the 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 government officials but also in the people they were trying to scare the 80 million of us who voted for joe biden they were trying to scare us they were trying to show us that we were wrong and that no matter what uh donald trump was going to be dictator for life so that's just my opinion i think that it's domestic terrorism um but also to a point ian that you said earlier which i think is really important you know um i have seen it from the the perspective of you know saying that the t terrorist um uh label has been mostly applied and i think that people are thinking of you know post 9 11 to you know arabs and and muslims specifically but i do think it's important especially now in you know the past few years with the black lives matter movement um, that definitely, you know, and thinking back to history, uh, again, of the Black Liberation Movement, um, you know, we have seen the, the FBI label, you know, Black identity extremists, I think is the term that they came up with. So yes, you know, this, this proposed legislation that Biden and I'm sure the other Democrats and yeah, Republicans are going to sign on to eventually um, you know, trying to, again, um, fight domestic terrorism. I'm sure that they, they, that will eventually be used for these, you know, Black identity extremists or whatever the term is. Um, because again, everything that the left tries, not the left, that Democrats and liberals try to do in order to quote unquote, make the country a better place ends up falling, um, you know, harder on people of color, on Black people and on leftists. So.
Yeah. Should, should we dive into some of that liberal response now? I can just be maybe do talk about social media within that context as opposed to um, stopping and talk about social media before the general response. Yeah. Um, I think one one thing that might fall in, like not in line with what you're about to say that I want to get out is like the idea, also like the idea that uh, I don't know, the right is mimicking the left in that they're like a big thing in the Black Lives Matter protests where like, oh, it's not the Black people, it's not the organizers that are causing the riots. It's like right-wing agitators and, and like anti like white people white people from the suburbs coming in and you know playing action hero uh that is like spread that been in like a lot of the media i've seen is like oh it wasn't them it was like some uh anti for people <laughs> and they they've hilariously posted uh pictures of like supposed anti for uh communications talking about go pretend to be a patriot like antifa people really think anybody on on the right is a patriot the the immediate attempt to pretend it wasn't them at the same time it was them i think i saw somebody break down the logic that was just basically like so antifa pretended to be the right wing so that they could overthrow a president that antifa wanted elected like like what is the logic there on the right side is is very confusing but then, yeah, like the kind of there's a weird attempt in American society to separate any form of political violence from right. your side in a way that I think like, yeah, adds another layer into this. Because I think that there are legitimate reasons for political violence. And I think sometimes we try to be like any political violence is happening that's happening is because of the other side instigating it or like bad elements that we don't align with. When it's like, no, some of those people are just on your side. Um and yeah, not, not to have sympathy for these right-wing folks, which I think that that's, a, that's another layer in here is the way that America struggles to comprehend legitimate political violence unless it's done by like capitalists or the military um, as being just sort of inherently bad. Yeah, and that's not to say, I don't mean to say like, oh, those kids from the suburbs weren't on the side of Black Lives Matter, but I don't think they were doing it in an yeah. intentional or like purely genuine way. Yeah, no, and, and I think that, yeah, there's, and I think there's, again, like a whole range of stuff in there too, of like some folks were there trying to play action hero, some folks were there trying to support in the right way, other folks were specifically from like the black community who were also like committing acts of violence in an effort to like fight for liberation. Like, I think that there's like a lot of different reasons why people showed up in that space. I do think there was a problem with whiteness showing up as like action hero whiteness in that, but yeah, it's, so yeah, America really struggles with like seeing fire and not freaking out. Unless apparently it's in uh, Bolivia, in which case we're weirdly fine with it. Yeah, should we circle then into uh, how the liberals have been responding to this? Yes. Woo, okay, so quick summary time. Um, basically there's been a couple of different approaches. We have removed Trump. There's been the calls for the 25th amendment to get him out via the VP and his cabinet. There's been calls for impeachment um, by, as we noted above, um, this has been like really an attempt to frame this as a Trump problem, which, as I said before, I think is pretty dangerous, though he is a huge problem here. He is not the only problem and getting rid of him does not get rid of the problem. Um, there's been also a push to remove some reps. Cory Bush has uh, put forward legislation to remove all reps who raised objections to the certification of the vote on basically arguing that they were committing uh, treason and not upholding their oath of office and therefore are not legitimate representatives. 
And I think, yeah, in both of these, in kind of the broader liberal response, there's a big question of like the implications of that and what assumptions they're operating on. Um, do y'all have like a side of those two or other approaches that you've seen that you really support? We could also dive right into talking about Papa Joe uh, and his weird speech that he gave while the Capitol had armed people in it. Yeah, I just say this election has taught me so much about American politics and how we are not in control. Uh, but I like the idea of impeachment because like people brought up like, oh, it's different if we impeach, like we can't just let him leave if we impeach him also it's taught me so much about what the why like what the president gets afterwards and why it was so meaningless that donald trump was like i'm not gonna take a salary because he gets like a free security detail for the rest of his life he gets a million dollar travel allowance for the rest of his life a year uh you know he gets his pension he gets his health care like it's a pretty sweet gig to be president and then you know just not be anymore uh, so like I I'm in favor of impeachment just so Donald Trump does doesn't make any more money off of the American public. Yeah, I um there are a couple of reasons I'm not a fan of the 25th Amendment. First of all, I feel like that was the Democrats' uh way of like flicking the booger, <laughs> um because um first of all they know. You know, you have to get the, first of all, it has to be invoked by the, the vice president. No matter what, um, we we know that Pence is not going to turn on Trump. I mean, you know, according to Trump supporters, he has turned on Trump. But ultimately, he's not going to do that. Um, I mean, he did unfollow him on Twitter, which is like, you know, so not cool. I don't know if that's actually true. Like, I saw that, and I don't know if that actually happened or not, but regardless um you know that when they started calling for you know the, him to invoke the 25th amendment um it was very clear that like pence wasn't going to do it and like sources very close to him were saying absolutely not he's not going to do it and then you know again it would take the cabinet a vote from the cabinet to do so and then very soon after that we started seeing uh you know folks from the cabinet um cho i believe is her last name the transportation secretary she resigned first uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, uh, as it turns out. And then we saw uh, DeVos, DeVos, whatever, I don't care. Um, we saw her uh, resign. And again, these people are resigning 13 and 12 days before the the uh, end of the term. So, you know, clearly it, it wasn't because they decided to finally grow a conscience. It was because they decided, I cannot decide, even if, you know, Pence decides to grow a pair and say, all right, let's vote on this. Let's let's remove them from office. They were not going to be part of that vote. So there's absolutely no teeth to saying, oh, you know, we're calling on the cabinet and Pence to, to go and remove Trump. Like that was dead in the water. They never should have suggested it. That pissed me off that they even put that out there. And so they were like, if he doesn't remove, you know, if they don't remove him, then we're going to impeach him. Impeachment is literally the only option. Um, and again, you know, McConnell with his devilish turkey neck self, um, you know, of course, he's going to add roadblocks and all that stuff. But to me, that's not the point. The point is, the House needs to go ahead and introduce the articles of impeachment and then go from there. They needed to do it yesterday, like literally yesterday. Um, they are planning, I believe, to, to introduce them uh, on Monday. Um, but 
they should have done it yesterday. They could still do it today. They're not going to. But um, my whole thing is that they need to stop waiting for somebody else to do the right thing. They need to stop waiting on, because the whole reason we're in this mess is because nobody has stepped up and has said, you know, back in 2015, back in 2016, all this time throughout his presidency, nobody has said, oh, you know what, we should probably do something about this. We knew the Republicans weren't going to do anything. We have seen that time and time again, even after the failed coup, we saw, you know, Josh Hawley with his, I don't have words for him, but we saw him still, him and Ted Cruz still stand by, um, you know, trying to stop the certification. So in, in, you know, conclusion, stop trying to get the Republicans to do anything and step up and do it yourself. Facts. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's really, that's really true. I think that is a very democratic response is to be like, yes, this was a historic wrong against our country. And you know what? Those dastardly Republicans won't act. And it's like, okay, well, you're sitting there with the keys. So maybe you could do anything. Like, yeah, I, it is very confusing uh, that we need to have like this like 4D chess of who starts the process. So like, just start it. Just get him out of there. Like, yeah, the 25th Amendment, like it would be political suicide for Pence, who's already unpopular in his home state, to now burn all bridges with the Trump base. Right. Um, he's not going to do it. And exactly what, exactly what Greg said, like there are so many reasons to remove him through impeachment. Yeah. Like he can never run for political office again. Again, he loses all of that, you know, the secret service protection and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that's why he came out and did his sad speech of like, you shouldn't have done this. I'm sad. Like, and in the speech, he straight up lied, which of course he does. But he said that he, he said he immediately called for the National Guard to go into DC. One, the National Guard was not immediately called. Uh, the, I can't remember what's his name from, he's a, the, I think he's the representative, a representative from uh, Maryland, but he called Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland and asked, can you all send your National Guard to DC to help us while you know they were trapped in the Capitol. He was with Nancy Pelosi and I think he was with Chuck Schumer and he was asking for their help. And Larry Hogan got on the call on the phone with I believe the either the head of the De Department of Defense or the Joint Chiefs of Staff, one of them. And he asked for permission and he was repeatedly denied permission to send the Maryland National Guard to DC and this is why this is a tangent but this is why DC needs statehood because if they were a state then we wouldn't have had this issue the governor of DC would have been able to send the National Guard but anyway so they were repeatedly denied and then finally Pence Pence is the one who called in the National Guard so Trump lied in his speech and said that he immediately called for the National Guard to come in to you know quell the unrest that man is a liar and he did have his little sad speech and he is a piece of crap. You pulled up a little bit short there saying crap. Oh, did it? Oh no, I'm just saying that it was sort of like you had this like long run of like, fuck that guy. And then you ended by saying crap. Oh, because I wanted to say shit, but I was like, let me just say crap. No, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fair. You got to balance. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that there's, I think there's also a question just with the removing reps piece. And I was talking about this with y'all earlier of, I'm in support of removing representatives who supported a right-wing action of this kind in the Capitol. Uh, so we debate whether it's terrorism or a coup. 
and I, like Cory Bush has put forward this uh, this vote to remove the reps who uh, opposed um, the certification of the vote. I do think there's a dangerous line being crossed there as far as that will further deepen the alienation felt by a lot of these people. If you remove the reps that the right voted for and you remove the president that they feel like they voted for, um, I, I, I think that that leads us further down a road where the government is illegitimate to upwards of half of the population. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be punished. I just think that the Democrats better have a better plan than nothing is going to happen after we do that. Um, and I think that that is just with the history of uh, white supremacist violence we've seen, even just over the last 50 years, there's been this sense that there's an illegitimate government that the movement is at war with. That has resulted in bombings like Oklahoma City. I have a feeling we might be in store for something else like that in the near future. And I doubt that removing their reps is like, that might make those actions seen as more legitimate by more people. And that you better have a good messaging and outreach campaign to fight that tendency, or you better be building power with a lot of folks that the Democrats have been throwing out for the past several years on the left. And I just wonder how y'all see that as like that, that danger of, of not stepping far enough against the right, but stepping far enough that you further empower their narratives and their movement. Yeah, well, as somebody who is, you know, obviously not pro-intelligence and not pro-police, I am going to say this. Um, and I told you this, Ian, before we hopped on the recording, that I had a friend um, ask me, you know, now that all of these, you know, white supremacists are hopping off of Twitter and joining Parler because um, Trump is now banned from Twitter, um, you know, how are we going to track them, basically? And I said, you know, uh, the FBI has done a, a great job, uh, FBI, CIA, they've done a great job of, of tracking, you know, Black activists and other activists of color, um, you know, throughout history and currently, um, you know, without social media, before some social media was a thing and without social media now. So if they really want to, um, they can certainly track these, these uh, wahoos, these wackos, um, and, you know, see if they are planning something like, uh, you know, another Oklahoma City. Um, they just have to invest in it, and they just have to be interested in it, and they just have to not be um, sympathetic to their cause. So that's how you combat it. And again, you know, with Joe's pick with Merrick Garland, that's going to have to be a priority for him. Um, you know, not only uh, charging these people who, again, tried to take part or did take part in this attempted coup, um, but, you know, also tracking these people who, again, are going to go underground. So that's how I think. I do believe that these people that, you know, uh, Representative Bush uh, has, uh, you know, introduced in this, in this resolution to expel from uh, the House and the Senate, I do believe that they should be removed. Um, I do, because you should face consequences when you um, incite uh, an insurrection and sedition. I really do believe that. Um, and I do believe that there's going to be consequences. We're seeing consequences right now um, after the Democrats have done nothing for you know the past five years. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be prepared for consequences. So I just think that unfortunately it's going to take uh, you know law enforcement to, to do such a thing. So, you know, instead of watching, um, you know, black activists and other uh, activists of color, you, you need to go ahead and watch uh, crazy white folks. Yeah, I'm with that acceleration and shit. Let's do it. <laughs>
Uh, no, nah, but I agree with both of you that there are going to be consequences. It's hard to do. Like, yeah, it's going to – it creates one just a slippery slope of like, you know, like we were saying earlier, like typically these things are – made to combat like crazy white people and then they are flipped back on the minorities of the world uh they but I, again like I, I was joking but serious like yeah no let's make them show their whole ass and we're, we're gonna have to make the decision on what we're actually gonna do when they decide like they don't like being held accountable for their actions yeah and i think that maybe that can right now pivot us into Joe Biden's response because I think that there is a tension there between uh, confronting white supremacy and being willing to push back on a moment like this in a way that will like break their power versus the conciliatory, this is not us, we need to come together and, and hug uh, sad grandpa speech that we saw from Joe Biden on the day of um, what, while people were still inside the Capitol building. Um, we all watched the speech. Uh, he, uh, I think we should note he began his campaign in uh, Charlottesville, talking about how sad it was that there was uh, right-wing violence there without you know, any plan on how to stop it. Just you know, feeling sad about it. Um, and then, yeah, he gave the speech where it was essentially like, we need to come together. This is not America. This is not our history. He quoted Abraham Lincoln, which was kind of a weird move, given that Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War and his election led to the secession of several states in response specifically to his election. Didn't really seem to think about the implications of that too much. Um, and then, yeah, essentially his, his, his thesis was these people are not America. We need to stand together. Uh, and then he asked President Trump to condemn the protests. Like his essential, his action step was like, could you not President Trump? I'd, I'd, I would have very much appreciated it if you stopped. Like, I don't know. How did y'all process that speech? Um, and, uh, and, and how does that tie into like this sort of what we were just talking about of like, are we going to respond to white supremacist violence accordingly? Or are we going to try to like hug Republicans in an effort to pretend that white supremacist violence, violence doesn't exist? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, my reaction was, I think it was pretty early in the speech that he said, I mean, again, it wasn't a long speech, but um, first of all, kudos to him for being the the one of the two between the president and the, and the president-elect, uh, the first one of the two to actually speak to the people of the United States. Like, I mean, I know that it's a low bar, but go ahead, Joe, congratulations. Um, but I was very turned off when, you know, he, that line that so many um, politicians like to say, which is, this is not who we are as Americans. Um, I don't know if I already said it on this podcast or if it was before the, we started recording, but that is very much who we are. Um, so I, I really don't like hearing that line. It just, it instantly pisses me off. Um, and um, I, when people say that, that makes me believe that you don't actually understand the root of the problem. And so that also makes me think that you are not going to do what is necessary to address it. Now, of course, I don't expect, you know, Joe Biden in his age or in his beliefs, I don't believe that. And I, I would never expect one person um, to, you know, 
reckoned with 400 years of racist history, um, you know, a, a country that was built upon, you know, genocide, um, white supremacy, racism. I would never expect that one person to truly reckon with that, um, especially during, you know, four years of presidential term. But at the same time, I, I'm going to need you to, to, to at least do some kind of, you know, reflection and, you know, maybe, maybe talk to a black person on your staff who's going to be honest with you and say, look, Mr. President-elect, um, this is who we are. And so maybe let's stop using that rhetoric. Maybe let's start talking about, you know, not healing so much, but really addressing the issue and, and really, you know, start talking about justice for these people who continue to terrorize um, and, and disrespect, you know, the ideals. Because for me, it's not so much what this country was founded on. It's what this country is trying to live up to. And so, you know, I consider myself, this may sound crazy, with a, as much as I, you know, diss this country and politicians, the people who are running it, but I consider myself patriotic. I really do. Um, and, you know, that comes from being the descendant of people who built this country, literally. Um, so I really do think that there is a possibility, it's slim at this point, but there's a possibility for this country to, to live up better to the ideals that, um, you know, it, it, it was founded upon. Um, so yeah, I, that's what I would like to see in the future. Do I think that it's going to happen? No, because I'm a realist. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, that's what I would like to see. Um, yeah. Yeah, just to that one phrase, I like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was part for the course for Joe Biden, but to that one phrase that this is not who we are, there was Colfax, Louisiana, Wilmington, North Carolina, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Atlanta, Georgia, Elaine, Arkansas, Rosewood, Florida, Detroit, Michigan. We've had so many acts of violence against black people again there's literally been overthrowing of governments because black people were represented uh in america in the last century this is exactly who america is and the fact that we won't acknowledge it and not like blatantly ignore it is the problem on why this will <laughs> this will never end and i think that like yeah, at every at every level, it's a fiction because it's it is very much. This is like this is who America is, both in the uh, the violence side as well as the tolerance of the violence side uh, when it comes from white people, and also like in a kind of joking way, this is who America is on the world stage. We we have caused similar scenes to this with far more harsh harsh consequences in capitals the world over. And I think that that's like an important point to note is that in like fascism, when it arrives in the imperial core, it comes as a mirror of that which the empire has done in other places. Like it is the return of imperial policy to the center. Um, and so we're seeing the approach that our government has taken and that our government has encouraged the world over started to apply to this country. And I think that that's a very jarring thing um, for a lot of Americans, but I think that like, yeah, we, we have uh, the internal colonized peoples and the internal oppressed peoples of the United States 
like the black belt, black folks in general, uh, black and brown folks across this country who helped build this country, workers who helped build this country have been oppressed in a variety of ways, some of them in a more colonial way, some of them in just a more economic way. And then uh, across the world, we've overthrown governments to enforce capital's interests and to enforce white supremacist governments uh, across, the, across the globe. And now our government is teetering or in danger in some way, and capital might be a little worried about its position. And so we're seeing some of those same tactics as they get desperate turned back towards the United States. And like the same people who did it in Bolivia, who did it in Guatemala, who did it in Indonesia, who did it in Vietnam, like you can name a country, um, have decided that some of those tactics might be applicable uh, here in the United States. And just the idea that we're gonna hug it out uh, because this isn't us, like this has always been us. This is us to the rest of the world. This is us to anybody who's been in the way of profit and who's been in the way of whiteness. Like this has always been us, quote unquote. And if that's your response, you aren't up to this moment. Yeah, I, I think that also um, that was what scared me in seeing seeing uh, you know what happened on Wednesday because I also thought you know, okay, Trump's uh, term is coming to an end. This is just, you know, it's absolutely crazy that we're so close to getting rid of him and here this comes, but also, and now seeing this, I, I, I'm at a loss. Like this is, we didn't, we didn't need anything else on top of everything else that we're dealing with. And I don't even need to go down the list, but we didn't need anything else to go to, to add to all the things that Biden has to deal with. So yeah, that, that was also terrifying to me and is terrifying to me um, that this has been added to, you know, Biden's list of things to deal with. Well, and I think to, to try to move us closer to the end here, I think just to step into the response we've seen actually in the next couple of days since that speech has been a vocal support for some sort of domestic terrorist legislation that would target extremists on both sides. Um, we've seen Legislators like Alyssa Slotkin come out, um, who's a CIA uh, operative who decided to run for Congress, um, come out and say that, uh, we, that yeah, essentially that uh, the problem here is extremism and the biggest national security threat we have is extremism. And we need to come together as Democrats and Republicans and Americans to combat this sort of like the two sides that are pulling our country apart. And it's, it's just the unity that it seems like they are invoking is a unity against the left and the right. And that historically means the left, like they're going to attack the left. The right does not, these uh, legislative acts trying to combat terrorism do not go after white supremacist terrorist organizations. They go against the left. Um, like they monitor these folks, they watch them. If something gets way out of hand, sometimes they'll stop it. Like with the governor here in uh, Michigan, but in general, they let these folks exist, whereas the left gets crushed. Um, and, I, and I fear that that is the unity. When they talk of unity, that's the unity that they're talking about. Everyone can come together to crush the left. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I hear when they start talking like that. And that's the way they've increasingly been talking over the last like 48 plus hours. Yeah, honestly, I feel like even less on the, the less. I mean, I, I feel like um, I feel like America might be more liberal than it wants to let on. Like the people in general would like more liberal policies. Uh, but yeah, I think when you when you say like let's come together against extremism, like you're coming together against the people, 
And I would be fine if America, like, if everyone was allowed to vote and America came out to be, like, conservative and, like, purely racist, I'd be like, cool, just let me get my ticket out. Like, let me go ahead and uh, go ahead and leave. And, like, the, the, uh, the suppression of, you know, a true democracy makes it hard to tell, like, what America truly is other than, like, we're only able to judge today, I mean, what America truly is today uh and not what like the policies and like the the history has allowed it to be uh and yeah so the only way i can judge america is by like what it's done and not by what it wants to be yeah i mean i uh don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist but i just wonder if part of this it you know that this was kind of like an end goal or you know not even maybe an end goal but like people in power you know uh political leadership or other folks are are actually happy like that this is going to be a consequence of you know what happened because um because they're going to be able to increase, you know, law enforcement and, um, you know, monitoring, uh, you know, individuals, individual citizens and stuff like this because of, because of what happened. Um, because again, like we've been saying, there are plenty of laws on the books that um, would have allowed, uh, you know, the proper entities to have been, you know, monitoring this. And again, I mean, like, have you know tapped folks phones and and you know gone into text messages and all that kind of stuff but as we said earlier people were openly planning this and we didn't mention this but this is something that um you know i had seen um or i had heard that there was um a, a representative i think her name is uh linda sanchez i think is her name um and she the night before they were set to go and certify the results she had called, she called her husband, I think back in California, and she told him where she, he could find her will because she had a feeling like that's how terrified she was that something was going to pop off at the Capitol. And so I'm like, okay, if this one representative was scared enough and had the foresight enough, you know, the night before, um, you know, anything happened, why weren't the Capitol police? Why wasn't Homeland Security? Like, why weren't these agencies? uh prepared for what happened so again i think that there's a question of you know there being a failure to have planned um ahead um but also i, I again i'm just wondering if this is not a, a happy consequence for some people um you know that that after this has happened now that there there can be increased uh surveillance of you know activists again obviously i'm talking about a leftist activists because clearly they are not and have not been interested in, in monitoring what the right is doing yeah i don't think it has to be a conspiracy in order for it to be useful and I think that's like sort of like you get with 9-11 also. Like, I don't think 9-11 was an inside job. It was a bunch of incompetence and indifference and then a useful uh, opportunity for Dick Cheney. <laughs> I think that like this was a, this is potentially a very useful opportunity for, I mean, in some ways for the uh, come together rhetoric of Joe Biden, because he does like this gives them an out to exercise Trump from the Republican party and pretend that the Republicans aren't part of this. 
to like otherize that whole experience and like gives them a route back into the quote unquote, the center. Um, it gives us like a shared political project of combating extremism. Like there's a lot of ways in which this is highly useful if you don't want to accomplish much, but you want to give a better sense of common purpose to the legislature and the government. As long as you don't actually intend to like discuss what you do to like, you know, change the material circumstances in this country. Uh, if you just want everyone to like kumbaya for six months, which seems to be pretty much Joe Biden's entire political strategy, um, then this is highly useful. Um, and you can see them doing that already. Like they're inviting those folks back in there. They let Mitch McConnell give some sort of dumb speech about how he was in support of democracy. Like, yeah, they're, they're basically opening the door and saying, you want back in the, back in the car? Uh, and th that's just ridiculous. Yeah. 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 When I say the conspiracy part, I'm talking about like, not the aftermath, oh. but like the beforehand. I'm like, I wonder if like, you know, yeah, but no, definitely after I'm sure that they took, they see this as an opportunity. Definitely. Cause yeah. Cause you're, you were the first person who mentioned to me, you know, that this legislation that they're proposing will definitely be used against leftists and, you know, activists. And yeah, I mean, that's clearly what's going to happen because it always happens. Well, I think that maybe transitions us into our uh, what comes next section. But uh, yeah, I think just maybe a quick look forward from each of us about like kind of what we what we see coming next. Uh, just key bullet points. Um, Biden and uh, Harris are officially uh, the president and vice president elect. They get sworn in on January 20th. It looks like there's going to be much better security. They have a seven foot unscalable fence. I don't understand how a fence is unscalable if it's seven feet and two people can stand on each other's shoulders but apparently it is maybe it, like it, it's electric. I don't know. No, maybe. Yeah. That, that'd be, that'd be kind of entertaining, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it sounds likely that there will be much stronger security. The right is vowing to show up with more weapons and to show up with like in, in greater force. We'll see what happens there. I think if they see uh, several battalions sitting in front of them, they're not going to do too much. Um, as far as white nationalist violence, there's a big question we've had and been rising here of like, yeah, what happens uh, after this with a bunch of people who were already willing to do this, uh, feeling even more disaffected? And just, yeah, the overall stance of Joe Biden being that nothing will fundamentally change, that we need to go back to 2012 or whatever it was when we were supposed to have had a good government. Yeah, where, where do you all see this kind of going over the next several months? Maybe let's, like, let's not go all the way out to like four or five years, but where do these next several months you think go um, in this process? Black women first. <laughs> um as far as the white national violence i think that um yeah i think that it, they are pissed i think that they're pissed at the the failure of their incompetence um i think that they are pissed at their fearless leader um i think that they feel betrayed by him they have said as much um i also think that they are um uh, emboldened uh, by, you know, the things that have been going on. I also think that they, you know, obviously they are fueled by conspiracy theory. So, you know, they have said that like his quote unquote concession speech was, you know, part of the deep state and like he was forced to do it or that it was like um, edited that was like a body double, like they've said all of those different things. So I think that, um, you know, obviously 
even when he leaves office, um, even, you know, if he was, uh, you know, impeached and he's never able to run for office again, even if he's, you know, tried and convicted of crimes and he serves jail time, all of this obviously is not going away, even if Donald Trump goes away. Um, So I do think that there will still be white nationalist violence. I think that the ideology has obviously been um, allowed to, to grow and to fester. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this is going to be um, the the biggest threat to, uh, you know, this nation's security, at least domestically, um, you know, maybe in general, um, overall. Um, and I think that though, you know, uh, the senators and uh, Congress uh, men and women who supported, um, you know, the the not certifying the vote, um, though I think that they do need to be removed. I think that that will just add fuel to the fire. So yeah, that's not a good thing. Um, As far as what the Biden administration will do, I'm going to keep up with the theme of not having any hope (laughs) as far as them doing the right thing or uh, doing the best thing. Um, But, you know, we will see. Um, I will be genuinely surprised and absolutely thrilled. I will absolutely sing the praises of the Biden administration, um, you know, if they go ahead and, you know, prosecute to the fullest extent of the law, these folks who um, you know, committed treason against this country. Um, and if they, you know, start to surveil and they start to thwart any future plots of white supremacist terrorism and violence um, against this nation and against, um, you know, the citizens of this country. So those are my predictions. We shall see. I, on one hand, welcome Russia and China to come and quell the violence in America as America has done <laughs> so many countries. And I'll just bring a little democracy over here. Uh, what I see going forward, like, yeah, I see white supremacists being emboldened. Like people are like, you know, yes, we know like it isn't gonna end with Trump, but I do think Trump has like brought a new era in like white supremacy and that they will, like even the Ku Klux Klan wore masks to hide themselves and now they're breaking into federal buildings uh so uh, i see a new era in like white supremacy like they've shown that they can go to many capitals and break in i i don't know what's gonna happen with trump i doubt they'll impeach him. i doubt trump will really see receive any real retribution i'm interested in like what the future of like Trump looks like now that he no longer has like a truly public platform and like the powers that be have kind of rebuked him and sent him into the ether. I don't know where Trump people go to hear about Trump. Uh, While I do think they feel betrayed, I think they'll do some mental gymnastics and, you know, say like, hey, he's got to protect his family or something stupid. I, I, I told Ian about, we, me and Ian talked about this. Uh, I see like, you know, legislation being passed that will eventually like in in the end just hurt, uh, you know, black and poor people, poor and brown people. I'm I'm just hoping Joe gives us something, uh, which isn't how politics should work. But I I just see a lot like we're, there's going to be a return to form, uh, but the people will be much different but the our, our government will go back to business as usual. Yeah, I think uh, to the Bolivian and Cuban international brigades, you'll be welcomed as liberators. Uh, please do not hesitate to aid us in our revolutionary struggle. 
Um, but beyond that, I think, um, yeah, I, I think they are likely going to try to do a bunch of balanced budget stuff to get the Republicans on board. Maybe they spend something on infrastructure, but it's, they're going to, yeah, I think there's a huge danger of Biden spending the next four years uh, trying to make sure that we have balanced budgets and the stock market goes up and we maybe get a trade deal and um, we have some sort of like common legislation to limit extremism and that gets, you know, accidentally used against the left, but you know, they were bad too. And then it uh, doesn't really help anybody. Everyone's pretty depressed after four years, a new right-wing person gets in office and basically has a bunch of new weapons and more money in the bank than they would at this point. So yeah, that, that seems like a, a big danger. I don't anticipate like, yeah, let's get some, they'd be cool. Like, yeah, please write the checks. We'd love the $2,000. It should be more like people are like many thousands of dollars behind on rent. I thankfully am not, but like, yeah, please everybody, um, everybody in Congress, make sure people get their money. Um, that'd be great. Literally anything. The bar is, has, it's been getting lower and lower. And now the bar is just do something that doesn't actively attack us and we might celebrate it. So but yes, once again, International Brigades, we welcome you. Uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts? Should we close this out? This has been a long one. My final thoughts are, yes, I hope they die, and i do it again. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of liberal hand-wringing about, like, well, do you, like, support the... There's, like, liberal and left hand-wringing about, like, well we have to support the tactics or like give the right of the tactics of the right to exist. If we want to do them ourselves, like shouldn't the left maybe at one point take the Capitol? It's like, I've seen that. I've seen that. It's just like, it's, it's different because of who they are and what they want. Like that's liberal nonsense to say that tactics are goal blind. Right. Yeah. No, if you want shitty things, I don't, I don't support you getting elected. Even right. if you take all the votes, fuck you. You don't deserve it because your goals will hurt people and you conned your way into office. Even if you get elected, fuck that. Like that's like, I, I don't care what tactics you use. Like your goals are abhorrent. So yeah, the tactics matter or the goals matter, not the tactics. That's so crazy. People are, woo. Yeah, also like a weird aside. Uh, it's not important, but I keep seeing pictures of like the people being arrested. And I'm like, I don't think these are the same guys because they're like, if you look at the pictures of them being arrested, they've got like beards and or like just like a lot of facial hair. And then on their arrest pictures, it's like they, they shave. They got a chance to shave before they got arrested. That's I could fun. see that, though, being like a dumb identity protection plan that they came up with. Like, oh man, I had a beard. If I shave, there's no way the feds will find me. Oh yeah, before they got arrested. That's that's true, Ian. I thought of that, but again, like it's all of them. Every picture I've seen, they've all shaved. And I I'm think like that might have been like coordinated. They're like, hey guys, hurry up. It's like as soon as they walked out, they were handing out shaving kits. Yep. The Dollar Shave uh, Club. Got to go, they probably they got to go back to their, you know, uh hotels Hotel. or whatever. Well, yeah. it was actually the Dollar Shave Club Club had paid the feds for an endorsement as part of the arrests, but then they decided in circumstances to like, you know, this won't look good for our brand. We're going to pull back maybe next time. Um, but yeah, no, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, either if they were doing it intentionally or if they all just did decide to go shave. It's a weird move. We do know that they didn't use Gillette, though, because <laughs> Gillette is a liberal cuck. I did not know that. 
You don't remember that? It's maybe like three years ago now, but Gillette came out with a commercial about like, what is a man? And the the right lost their minds. Or was it Gillette? I don't know. We're like 16,000 outrages after that. So I, I have a vague memory. <laughs> Regardless. Uh, yeah, that was just my... Yeah, it was definitely Gillette. The best men can be commercial. I feel like that could be a really right-wing talking point. Cool. Uh, well, then, yeah, thank you both so much for being on. Um, this was a good episode, a long episode. We're going to have our two-parter out. A uh, quick addendum here. After a couple of days of us editing, new things have happened. Um, basically, it looks like the Democrats and Republicans, some of them come together to vote to impeach President Trump. Um, and that is going to be moving into the Senate and kind of overshadowing Joe Biden's, uh, the early part of Joe Biden's term. And uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats came out with a $1.5 trillion plan that is uh, less than Donald Trump came out with in August and far less than the Democrats came out with this summer, promising only $1,400 checks and proving the point that we keep making that they're kind of just lying to us and don't care about anything. Uh, we'll no doubt talk about that more in the future and the frustrating fights that will happen. Um, but yeah, just a quick update um, as of editing. And yeah, hopefully the Democrats accomplish anything to help anyone. The bar is on the ground. And hopefully you and your community are uh, building sustainable structures that don't depend on the Democratic Party being a viable source of change. Um, we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.